Hey, I'm Greg Johnson. I'm the lead pastor here at Restoration Church Wood Forest. We want to welcome you to our podcast today. Our mission at Restoration is to empower people to become world changers by releasing them into their full potential in the kingdom of God. So that happens in a lot of ways, but on Sunday mornings, we gather together, we worship passionately, and then we open the word of God and we explore the application and the truth of how God's word can be applied to our lives. And so today, I hope that you enjoy this message from God's word. Hey, we don't want this in any way to be a replacement for church. Let it be a supplement for you. But if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us any week at 8 o'clock, 945, and 1130. We hope you enjoy the message. Welcome to Restoration. All right. Um, so uh, thinking about my mom, uh, my mom was, uh, she was the godliest person I knew. Um, uh, also, one of the funniest, unintentionally funny people I knew, um, uh, she passed away in 2009 from cancer, and so uh, Mother's Day is always kind of bittersweet for me. Uh, we're 14 years into this, but uh, there's still a little bit of an ache, uh, a mom-sized hole in my heart, if you will, uh, because I miss my mom. And uh, she, um, I, I truly believe that I am a pastor today because of the influence of my mom. And, and so uh, I can remember in high school, uh, we had this ugly blue velour chair. I still don't understand. It matched nothing in our house. Um, it must have been a flea market deal. But um, I, she was, when I would get up in the morning, I would always get up, you know, just in time to get ready and out the door. Hated the mornings, still do. Um, and uh, I, I, would, I would come uh, wandering in, sleepy-eyed, and she was always sitting in that chair with her Bible open, and she would say, Greg, come sit. I'm like, oh, Mom, please. I gotta go. And she's like, no, you gotta sit. And I would come and sit. She would read scripture over me, and she would tell me what she was praying over me that day. And as annoying as it was, um, man, I'd kill for that today. Man, I wish so badly that, that she could be sitting here today, um, even though I would not look at her if she were sitting here because I, I used to lead worship for a living and she would always sit in the, the first or second row and have this pained look on her face. Like, <laughs> like, I'm like, did you just think I was gonna blow it? I don't understand. I would say, just stop looking like that. And she's like, <laughs> and then she would always clap on one and three. Um, that is not okay. Um, some of you, you know what I'm talking about, right? The person next to you all morning was like clapping on one and three. That's, it's two and four, y'all. So get it right. Um, but I do think about, man, my mom. Uh, I, I miss her every day. Um, moms, let me say to you, every moment matters. That, that you are intentionally or unintentionally leaving a legacy on your kids. And so what you do matters and God is using you to shape your children into fully developed followers of Jesus. Guys, you're a part of that as well, but since it's Mother's Day, I'm honing in on them for a second. Uh, Hebrews uh, 10.24, it's in our passage today. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So this is what we're doing right? This is the spiritual life. Spurring one another on, uh, mom, spurring your children on to love and good deeds. 
So there's a cause and effect nature to the passage today. Uh, The author's wrapping up this section on uh, uh, the new covenant saying, since or because everything I've told you. So uh, really throughout the whole book, he's been repetitious, but for sure since the beginning of chapter eight through the first half of chapter 10, he's saying the same thing over and over on repeat. So if you've been here every week and you're like, oh my gosh, move on, we get it. Um, So here's what I can commit to you. We're gonna walk through books of the Bible and if it's repetitive, it's repetitive because there's something the writer wants to get across to us. And so just know that, that over the last few weeks, he's just been honing in, hammering in, Jesus is better. Say it with me. Jesus is better. He's been saying it since the beginning of the book, but he's been honing in on this idea of the old covenant versus the new covenant, the old sacrificial system versus Jesus fulfilling all the requirements of the sacrificial system, the high priest versus the great high priest. And then remember, he talked about the Holy of Holies and the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle was a geographical location. But now we see that the Holy of Holies is actually in the heart of every person that says yes. That when we say yes, we are now the place where the presence of God dwells. And so now he's gonna shift his thought, thank goodness, He's gonna shift his thought. Since all of this is true, let us live in a new way as a result. It's cause and effect because of everything we know. Now live in a new way. He's picking up on an argument that he's made previously in the letter that the evidence that you believe these things should result in fruit in your life. Does everybody believe that? So the truth of what you say is lived out by the way you live, right? So it's like you profess one thing, but are you living it? Is it the fruit of your life? And we'll see that this morning. Uh, Or as James said in James 2.26, faith without works is what? Dead. Faith without works is dead. It doesn't mean that, that we need works in order to be faithful, but when we are faithful, when we are really living from a place of Jesus, there should be fruit that comes out of our life as a result. Okay, so let's look at these six verses. I wanna read them to you and then we'll talk through it. Starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for who he promised, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, so starting with verse 19, he starts with the word, therefore, He's done this a lot. He's been talking, throwing out uh, ideas, and then he, then he stops and says, therefore, so what's he saying? 
He's saying, because of everything I've just said, now there's something that I want you to do. And so this is a transition word. And so he's just finished this section on the power of the once and for all sacrifice of the blood of Jesus, which ended with this powerful uh, exclamation point, verse 18. If you look back at verse 18, he says, and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So what's he saying there? He's saying that the office of the high priest is obsolete. What? The office of the high priest has now been made obsolete, meaning that the the high priest doesn't have to keep going back to the Holy of Holies once a year to, to sacrifice on behalf of the people. He says very clearly, hey, listen, There's no longer a need for forgiveness because the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus took care of it. What does that mean? There's a a hymn in the church that says it in three words, four words. Four words. (laughs) Sorry. Jesus paid it. Jesus didn't pay it some, y'all. He paid it all. And the reason that the the high priest had to keep coming back day after day, month after month, year after year is because that sacrifice was for a moment in time. Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all. Jesus paid it all. So therefore, since we have confidence to enter the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, Let's pause there. The word confidence connects us back to Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. If you look back, now he's kind of repeating some themes. He says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? Confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So let's just think about, think about your own life. Um, Last week we talked a lot about shame. So when you are feeling ashamed, when you are feeling less than, when you are feeling unworthy, when you are living as a slave to an addiction or a bad habit, you've screwed up, here's my question. Do you run to God or from God? Yeah, you run from God. That's our typical nature. We run and hide. And we run and hide as if God doesn't know and we go hide till we feel like the coast is clear. And then we just kind of go about our business. That is not confidence. So as a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus and you're living in shame, first of all, that's a lie. You've already been forgiven. And so living forgiven, we talked about it last week, as we live forgiven, as we're no longer allowing our sin to be held against us, that gives us the confidence to walk in a new way. And it gives us the confidence to go, hey, I don't have it all together. I make mistakes, but I can approach the throne of grace with confidence. It's a different way to look at life. Walking and the confidence. And remember, this is a new way of thinking for the original hearers. These are, uh, it's written to Jewish believers. So they used to follow this old covenant thinking and then they started following Jesus. And so there's this whole new system of thinking, but now the heat is turned up. They're shrinking back and they're trying to, to run back to old ways. And he's like, don't run away from God, run to him. You can have confidence Confidence to enter the Holy of Holies 
How? By the blood of Jesus. He's saying, listen, you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. You don't have to run away anymore. You don't have to keep living in shame. Your sin has been forgiven. So this is a complete new way for the Jewish believers. It's a complete new way. But let me say this. For some of you in the room today, it's a complete new way. For some of you, you're living in the religion of Christianity. And maybe you've got this whole, I prayed a prayer so that when I die, I go to heaven theology. That's part of the story, but it's not all of it. Because the truth of the matter, again, when, when you prayed to receive Jesus, you received the very presence of God. Heaven came to earth. Heaven infiltrated your life and now you are no longer your own. You live in a new way. It's a new and living way, meaning that now it's no longer about me. It's Jesus in me. And this is a picture of direct access to God. No longer is there a requirement for someone else to go into the presence of God on your behalf. So there are streams of faith today that still have a man at the center of religious activity, right? That you have to go to that man and you have to confess, you have to ask for forgiveness. Um, the problem is it's not biblical. Because when you look at the book of Hebrews, it very clearly says the office of the priest is actually obsolete. Let me take it a step further. So uh, I'm a pastor. So I'm gonna stand up here every Sunday morning. I can commit to you. We're gonna walk through uh, these books verse by verse. I'm gonna point out what I believe to be true. But here's the deal. I'm not your priest. It's not between you and me. My whole job is to point you to Jesus. And as we'll see as we walk through the passage, because you have received the DNA of Jesus, now you get to go and have full access to God on your own. You don't need me. That's a tough reality. <laughs> Even as I say it, I'm like, well, I mean, you kind of need me. No, you don't need me. Because at the end of the day, Living in the pages of this book as a follower of Jesus, it's not between you and me. It's between you and God. Amen. And so you hear and hopefully you're inspired a little bit on Sunday morning for there's a different way to live, but now you have to take this into the secret place on Monday morning. And now it's between you and the Lord that you're responsible with what you've heard. You're responsible for what you've heard and how it's lived out in your life. This is this beautiful pathway that Jesus has charted between you and God. And he says here, it's through his blood and through his body. Do we celebrate that every week? Yeah. As we take communion, we celebrate the broken body and the shed blood. It's a picture of your forgiveness, the ransom that was paid for your life. I hope that every week when you take it, you don't take it as this ceremonial moment, but you take it remembering that you were bought with a price. Amen. He opened this new pathway and then he, he references the curtain or the veil and compares it to the body of Jesus. So when you think about the veil, think about the veil, what did it separate? It separated uh, the, the, the sin of the people 
from the perfection and the presence of God. So that's the veil, right? On one side is sin, on the other side is perfection. And so every year, the high priest would move from the sin of the people into the very presence of God and make sacrifice. And so what he's saying here is the veil now, he's using the body of Christ to represent that. Meaning that we pass through from our sin into life because of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. He is the veil. The veil has been torn and now our access goes directly through him. It's a new way to live. Jesus said this of himself in John 10, verse nine. He's talking about sheep and that the sheep need a shepherd and the, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. They know me. They, they recognize my voice. They know me. They follow me. And then in verse nine, he says, I am the gate. Who, whoever enters through me will be what? Saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. So he says, I'm the gate. Other versions say, I am the door. But here's what we know. I am the passageway. He's saying, I'm the path to a better life. And he says, through me, whoever enters through me will be saved. Salvation comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. Acts 4.12 says that. There's no other name under heaven by which men are saved. Jesus said it in John 14.6, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. I am the door, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Verse 21. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So he says, hey, Since we have this confidence to enter the Holy of Holies and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, if you remember back in uh, Hebrews chapter three, verse, I think it's verse five, where he talks about, um, or verse two, he was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. So remember, Moses, he's one of the biggies. Right? In the, in the Hebrew faith and in Judaism, Moses was one of the most faithful. He was the deliverer. He's the one that delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. And it says he was the most faithful in all of God's house. But now he says Jesus is over God's house. He's a better Moses. He's bigger. He's better. So we have these sense statements Again, he's, he's really summarizing everything that he's talked about. And now he gets to the application. Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So the first, there are three let us statements. The first is, let us draw near. Let us draw near. What does it look like to draw near to God? In your life, what does it look like to draw near to God? Uh, For some of you, this is the nearest you'll get to God all week. Right, you'll draw near during a Sunday gathering and uh, we've talked about this whole campfire theology that you'll come and you'll get warm to the Jesus campfire this morning. You'll draw near to God. You'll get all the feels while we're singing some songs. Uh, You'll hear something that inspires you to last another week, to live to fight another day and then you'll go away and and you'll notice yourself by probably sometime uh, this afternoon, (laughs) you'll start cooling off. 
right? Some of you may hold it together because you got more discipline than others in the room. It may hold you till Tuesday. But here's the thing. If this is your only sense of drawing near to God, you're missing it, y'all. We draw near to God with sincere hearts and with this assurance of faith because of who he is. And here's the thing. If Jesus has really changed your life, you can't wait to get into his presence. Sunday is a corporate gathering of what's been going on individually in the secret place with him every day. And so you get the opportunity uh, tomorrow morning to draw near to him and actually begin to ask questions of what you heard today. Ask questions of how can I draw near today? God, how can I be closer to you today? So contextually, he's writing to a group of people who were running away. The heat was turned up, persecution is taking place. And so in this culture, when persecution came, these Jewish believers were running away. And that's why he's writing this letter in the first place. Hey, don't run away. Draw near. Don't run away. Draw near. So you've probably heard me say a lot if you've been around here, um, we're all either running from something or towards something. Is that fair to say? So the truth of the matter is, we're all running. We're either running from our past or from some current situation. And if you're doing that, I mean, that sounds like the right thing to do, right? And, and for some of you, you need to get out of the situation you're in. But here's what happens. If you are constantly just running from sin, running from addiction, running from shame, running from the things that don't seem to measure up in your life, if you're running from it, what are you always doing if you're running from something? Looking back to see if it's about to catch you, right? So if you're running from something, dink, you're gonna run into something. It will happen. You're gonna end up face planting somewhere along the way. So, so the truth of the matter is, we're all running from something or towards something. And so religion says run from it. Know that. The religion of Christianity would say run from your sin. Be a better version of yourself. Pray a prayer so that one day you get to go to heaven and then just run like heck from your sin. Try not to be a sinner. Do better. Do better, do better. But spoiler alert, when we get to chapter 12 of Hebrews, he says, hey, run this race with perseverance, fixing your eyes on who? Jesus. We can run from something or towards something. And he invites us not to run from our sin, but to run toward Jesus. I promise you this. Please, I promise you this, money back guarantee. If you will begin drawing near to God, running toward Jesus and just running toward him, keeping your eyes fixed on him all the time, all this stuff will take a back seat. It's just a natural byproduct. Money back guarantee. If that doesn't work for you, come back. I'll give you your money back. If you gave me any money, which I'm open to, by the way. Draw near to God. Let us draw near. James 4, 8. He says, uh, James says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. But here's what you'll find. When you turn to draw near to God, he's right there. 
It's not this long trip that you have to work your way back into God's favor. Some of you need to hear this today. God's not ashamed of you. He's not mad at you. Some of you, maybe you haven't been to church in a while. God is not more pleased with you because you're here today. And he wasn't less pleased with you because you weren't. He loves you just like you are. And all he's asking you to do is just turn, draw near. What you'll find is he's already right there. In fact, he already drew near to you through Emmanuel, God with us. Heaven came down. Notice how he stopped the rain for effect. It got real quiet. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings. So we draw near with a sincere heart. What is a sincere heart? It's, It's pure. It's when the motivation of your heart is right. Is it possible that you could have, you know, quiet time seven out of seven days and it be about you and not about God? Of course. Is it possible that you could memorize, you know, most of the Bible and it be about you and not about God? Is it possible that you could uh, do a lot of things that look like God but are actually about you with God's name on it? Yeah, this is all about the motivation of the heart. And he says, draw near to God with a sincere heart. And so it's a sincere heart that you bring your best to God. But guess what? It's a sincere heart that you also bring the bad and the ugly parts of yourself to God. It's a picture of, hey, I struggle. It's transparently coming to God. And this is where confession comes in to play. Because Sometimes we live as if God doesn't know what's going on. God doesn't know the struggle you have. God doesn't know the stupid things you've done. I just wanna just let the air out of the tire, okay? Let me put a pin in the balloon. He knows, y'all. He knows, and he still invites you in. He's not afraid of your past. He's not afraid of your present. The good, the bad, the ugly. He says, with a sincere heart, just be real. When you come to me, just be real. I'm not interested in your flowery prayers. I'm not interested in you, you know, putting on a worship song and singing at the top of your lungs if it doesn't really reflect what's going on in your heart. Sometimes our heart is dark. Let me just personally, sometimes my heart is dark. Sometimes I'm living in unforgiveness. Sometimes I'm bitter. Sometimes I'm angry, frustrated, impatient. Those are the ugly parts of me. And guess what? God doesn't say, hey, Greg, get your stuff together. When you get all that worked out, come see me. No, you know what he invites me into? Relationship. He invites me to come, bring it, and just sit with him. He's inviting me to be with him. Be with Jesus. So when we draw near to God with a sincere heart, we're just bringing all of it to him. How are you doing with that? For a lot of us, we've embraced this idea that our shame will keep us from God. That the things that we do actually keep us from God. 
And over time, if you have shame that is unchecked and you just run the other way, yeah, you will be uh, outside of God's presence. You won't experience his presence, but that's on you. It's not on him. Shame causes you to run and his invitation is constantly, come draw near. I want to heal your shame. I want to heal your brokenness. Just bring it real. So then he talks about assurant faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is by grace you are saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. No, faith, faith. And he's setting up in chapter 11, uh, in a couple of weeks, he's, he's gonna spend an entire chapter talking about faith. Uh, Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Faith. And we're gonna see all of these faithful people throughout Old Testament history who followed the Lord by faith, by faith. And what is faith? Faith is being sure of things that you can't see. Faith is having eyes of the unseen. It's I can't see it, but I move anyway. Why? Because I know that he's real and I know that he's good. Assurance of faith. In fact, Hebrews eleven six says without faith, it's what? Impossible to please God. You can't please God without faith. So if you're trying to do it on your own, you can't please God on your own. You recognize that, Right? You could never clean up your life enough. And that's why there is this invitation into living by faith that he accepts you just the way you are. He loves you like you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay there. Amen. So let us draw near. So Here's the beautiful part of this. So he gets into this idea of being sprinkled and being washed by water. So what he's doing is he's drawing this parallel with the priests of old. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, uh, as you come to him, the living stone, the living stone there is Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. Look this. Uh, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be what? a holy priesthood. Okay, so wait a minute. We just said the office of the priest is obsolete. No, in the kingdom of God, we're all priests. That's what's beautiful. The great high priest has paved a way, so now we are all a part of a holy priesthood. So when you said yes to Jesus, when you received Jesus, now you have been grafted into the family of God and you are a family of priests. Come on, y'all. That's good news. You don't need a go-between anymore because now you go directly to God, a holy priesthood. And, and so he's using uh, the, the Old Testament office of the priest and saying, listen, this is who you are now. If you look at Exodus 29, uh, we see in verse four and verse 21, a picture of what happened with the priest. Uh, then Aaron and his sons, Aaron was the line of which priests came. Aaron and his sons uh, then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. So they would be ceremonially washed before they went in to the presence of God. And then as you look over at verse 21, 
and take some blood from the altar, some of the anointing oil, sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on the sons and their garments. Then he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated. So it's this idea of the sprinkling of blood. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. They would take the blood of an animal and they would sprinkle it on them for consecration. That seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Hey, let me sprinkle some blood on you so that you can be made clean. What do y'all say? Ew, no. <laughs> Especially in a you know, post-COVID world, don't want anybody else's blood on me. Yeah, at the end of the day, this idea ceremonially being washed, ceremonially being sprinkled with blood. Jesus, his blood was sprinkled on you for the forgiveness of sin. You have been washed whiter than snow because of the blood of Jesus. You have been washed with water. It says he's giving you a clean conscience. This is a picture of the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit to come and change you from the inside out. Washed with water, sprinkled in blood. You are now a part of a holy priesthood. That's so good. Verse 23, so the first, let us, is let us draw near. The second, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So second, let us hold firmly to the hope we profess. What's he saying? First he said, draw near. Then he's like, stop running away. He's saying, get there and stay there. Draw near and then hold firmly. Any roller coaster lovers in the room? Thrill seekers? Yeah. Love a good roller coaster? I hate roller coasters. Um, I vow never to ride a roller coaster again the rest of my life. You can hold me to that. Um, I don't like having my stomach taken away. But man, if you love roller coasters, here's what you know. You get in all pumped up, but then what do you generally do? You hold on as tight as you can. Right? Hold firmly so that you don't get thrown out of the roller coaster. As if you could hold on tightly enough for that not to happen. But, but the truth of the matter is, he, this picture of a firm grip. You can always tell a confident man by his grip when he shakes your hand, right? You can always tell someone who's posing by the way they lean in and kind of hold a little tighter, right? You know who you are, but... Um, <laughs> He's saying, draw near and hold on. Hold on. He's saying, don't let go of what you know to be true. So I talked about this several weeks ago, but um, have you ever had a conversation with somebody that says, I used to be a Christian? Anybody? Yeah. I, I'm like, I don't even know what that means. What does that mean, I used to be a Christian? Here's what I think they mean by that. What I think they mean is that I used to be a part of the religion of Christianity. I used to go to church. I used to try to do good things and not do bad things. And then over time, that way didn't work. And so I abandoned it. And I'm like, man, thank goodness you abandoned it because that doesn't work. So I don't know exactly what that means, but here's what I do know. Talk is cheap. Yes. Talk is cheap. The truth 
of your followership of Jesus is in wartime, not in peacetime. Like we all follow Jesus when we close on the house of our dreams. We all follow Jesus when we get the job promotion. We all follow Jesus when we get what we want, right? That's six flags over Jesus, right? I mean, that's, that's incredible. When I get what I want, I'll do the Christian happy dance. The question is, how do you respond when things don't go your way? He's like, hey, you need to hold on and stop running away just because the going gets tough. He's saying, hang on. And here's the deal. Talk is cheap. He says, hang on to the hope we profess. What is profess? The hope that we talk about. 1 Corinthians 4.20, Paul says it. He says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of what? Power. That's something we can get behind. You should memorize that verse. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, meaning talk is cheap. What you say about what you believe means very little, but the power of God by which you live with is all powerful. It tells a story. And so the truth of the matter is, if you call yourself a Christian, but all you do is ungodly stuff, I don't know what you gave your life to. Who are we kidding? The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And know this, it's worth holding on to. We don't just draw near. We get there and we stay there. Why? Why? He answers that because he who promised is what? Faithful. It's not about you. If your relationship with God was solely dependent on your faithfulness, how would you be scoring right now? Yeah, we are not faithful people. We're grabbing hold of a lot of things, but very seldom is it Jesus consistently. Because when, when the tough times come, we look to every other option first. And he says it's worth holding on to because he who has promised is faithful. Yes. It's about him, not about you. It's about his faithfulness. Philippians 1.6 he who began a good work will be what? Faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Meaning what he's begun, he will finish. He's a finisher. That's what he does. Amen. Galatians 6, 9. He says, listen, don't grow weary for doing good for you will reap a harvest at the proper time. If what? You don't give up. Another way of saying that is if you hold on. Get there and stay there because a harvest is coming if you won't walk away. And so many of us are walking away right before the harvest. Get there and stay there. Revelation 2.10, he's talking to the church at Smyrna, one of the seven churches. And he's like, hey, listen, if you will be faithful, even to the point of death, I will give you life as your victor's crown. Be faithful even to the death. So again, you don't hold on because of who you are, because you're a good holder honor. <laughs> you hold on because of who he is, because he who promises is faithful. Yes. So he says, let us draw near, let us hold firmly, get there, stay there, and then look at the result. 
let us spur each other on. Look at this verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us spur each other on to love and good deeds. Encouragement. So you were not meant to live life alone. You realize that, right? Guys, we're the worst, right? We love to live life alone, right? In fact, for most of us, we've bought into the lie that, hey, I'm better by myself, right? So, so we seclude, seclude, seclude. You're an island unto yourself, and just know this, you in isolation is exactly 1,000% where the enemy wants you. Because when you're living in isolation, you are vulnerable to attack. For all of us, you were never meant to live life alone. And know this, shame will drive you into hiding. Shame will drive you out of the body of Christ. But, but here's what's interesting. A Western mindset is very individualistic, right? So we take this whole idea of the gospel and we make it all about us. That's why we say, trust Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. That's not in the Bible. Um, he actually says, hey, trust Jesus for salvation for the world, right? You are saved individually for a greater purpose of what God's doing. It's not about becoming Greg 2.0. That's never been the point. No, it's you are saved to join him and what he's doing in the world. And so this idea that we were made for community, we need each other. It's all throughout the New Testament. You know, the, the hand can't say the foot, I don't need you. That's 1 Corinthians 12, I, nose. I mean, we need every part of the body of Christ. Some of you are spleens. I don't even know what the spleen does, but I'm intrigued. We need each other. And it's not just encouraging one another once, but considering how we can encourage each other. It's an ongoing process of being encouragers. Um, one of the most encouraging people on our staff team is Ted Sego. Um, anybody talk to Ted? Yeah. So here is one of the things that I love about Ted. Uh, Ted was a pastor for a long time, so he had a very upfront ministry for a long time. And now on our team, uh, you probably saw him out in the parking lot this morning. Kind of the ministry of the unseen. He's the guy that's doing all the dirty work. He's the guy that uh, if you fill out a connect card, he will call you and he will keep calling until you answer. <laughs> this dogged determination. And listen, nobody likes to do that, but Ted does. <laughs> and you know what he'll do when he, when he calls you? He's gonna ask questions. He's gonna find out about you and he's gonna find some way in that conversation to encourage you. He's gonna invite you to come hang out at the church and he's gonna sit with you and make the whole time about you. That's what he does. He makes everybody around him feel special. So he is a words of encouragement guy. It's just kind of what he does. But you don't know that if you're not engaged fully in the body. I think about Leanne Francis. So uh, if you've had a death in the family, uh, if we've done a, a funeral memorial service here or a wedding, any special event, man, she is Johnny on the spot. And uh, this weekend there was a wedding here. She was here all day Friday, all day Saturday, uh, just taking care of all the logistics for this uh, family, for this wedding. And you know, 
Bridezilla, you know, it's not always easy. I'm not saying they were, but you know, I mean, just people have high expectations on days like that, right? On the best day of their life, on the worst day of their life, they've got expectations of how things are gonna go. And she so beautifully just walks through with them. People feel so incredibly loved by her by the way that she serves families in that way. But you wouldn't know that if you're not a part of community, if you've not been a part of being loved by her. And those are just two of so many people all over the room. There are so many people that are behind the scenes. I think about my wife. Her number one way to serve is behind the scenes. She hated that I just mentioned her name, Yvonne. She hated (laughs) that I said that. Happy Mother's Day. Um, Encouragement. Spurring each other on. So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. Um, It is shocking to me how mean-spirited the church is. So if you wanna understand why the church is not changing the world, just hang out with church people for a while. We can be the most mean-spirited, judgmental people on the planet. There's so much fear-mongering that goes on in the church, sitting around, scared to death of the culture. And we get in our little uh, Christian huddles and talk about everything that's wrong with the world. We talk about all of the things that are going wrong politically, things that are going wrong. Everything's just sliding in a wrong direction. And, oh, we gotta be scared. We gotta be scared. Know this. How big is your God? There's gotta be a day when we're no longer afraid of what's going on in the world, but we lean into it. Because know this, light shines brightest in the darkness. And if we wanna be an encouragement, uh, we need to encourage each other to let our light shine brighter in a world of darkness. I don't know if you've read the book, but it's not gonna get better. (laughs) The entire Bible is written in the context of suffering which that means that you're an encouragement in the middle of suffering. Amen. The world is watching, y'all. Amen. And honestly, we're failing pretty miserably. Amen. Because we're so concerned about ourselves. I was telling somebody recently, they were going through something hard and they didn't want to walk in that door because they said, I just know when I walk in the door, everyone's going to judge me. Everyone's gonna be, you know, thinking about me. And I'm like, hey, here's the good news. When you walk in the door, they ain't gonna be thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. <laughs> Just keeping it real. I mean, for all of us, we're, we walk in this, in this building every single week, a big bundle of insecurities, right? Scared to death about what people are thinking about us. And know this, everybody's thinking the same thing about themselves, What would it be like if we just let the pen out of the bloom and just loved each other and spurred each other on to love and good deeds? What would it be like to no longer live in fear? Hey, listen, the world's broken. That's why they need Jesus. And so instead of hiding from the culture, let's engage the culture and let's engage them with the love and good deeds that come from a place of Jesus. Not you just throwing something up on the wall and see what sticks. No, you draw near to God. You stay there. And out of that, he begins to change your pursuits, change uh, your affections, and he changes the trajectory of your life. And then it makes it easy 
to be an encouragement. Like if you got to work to be an encourager, man, go back to the draw near part. If you find yourself that you're a little bit angry, man, go make it right. Life's short, y'all. And I don't know what somebody did to you. It doesn't really matter. Jesus calls us to a life of forgiveness because guess what? You've been forgiven much and so you can go forgive much. Whew. Okay. One more thing. Let us be known for what we're for and what we're doing, not for what we're against and what we're boycotting. So if you're boycotting something, that's cool. Just kind of keep it to yourself, all right? Let, let's move toward things. Let's be about what we're for. As followers of Jesus, man, let's be for love. Let's be for peace. Let's be for hope. Let's be for reconciliation. What would that be like? It'll transform the world because that's not what's going on in our world today. So maybe reject the cultural norms and live in a countercultural way. That's kingdom living. Verse 25, this is where we end. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, this could easily be the part in the service where I say, hey, come to church and be here every week, right? Don't give up meeting together. So that's cool. Don't give up meeting together. Yeah, this is, remember, this is a community, right? We do this, we do life together. But don't let it end here. Because this is face forward and again, you come and you sing together and you listen together. But know this, the real action happens as you're facing each other. And so throughout the week, I, I think about this idea of, of groups. Uh, the Sunday gathering is one larger group. But I think about Sunday nights. Our students meet, not meeting tonight because it's Mother's Day, but normally our students meet. Life groups meet, region groups, re-engaged groups, student small groups, men's groups, women's groups, groups of all shapes and sizes that are facing each other talking about the hard realities of life. That's where it gets real. You can be in this room today and be completely anonymous. You can be in this room today, be going through something, and unless you tell somebody, no one will ever know. It's gonna be a lot harder sitting in a small group facing each other and not having meaningful conversations. Especially if you've got a life group leader that's good at asking the right questions, it can get uncomfortable in a hurry. But guess what? That's where growth takes place. It's an invitation. Um, I think about Rod Sled. He's here on the third row. He and Brent Smith, is that right? Yeah, so Rod and Brent felt called to start a men's group on Tuesday nights. And he sent me an email telling me, hey, it's, it's, it's dudes that, that are young in their faith, mature in their faith, non-believers, just all shapes and sizes are gathered together to just talk about what it means to follow the way of Jesus. So they had their first meeting last Tuesday night. I think 11 guys were there. Um, did I get that right? Yeah. And so, and so um, they're not doing it to see how many guys they can gather. What they're doing is creating a space for people to come and encounter Jesus and learn how to live the way of Jesus. And they're doing it life on life together. And guess what? It's not 
restoration stamped. This is a guy who's been impacted by the way of Jesus and now he wants to be an encouragement to others. And what he's doing, he's not forsaking meeting together. It's literally what this passage is talking about. So he says, do all of this. Don't forsake meeting together. And then he says, all the more as you see the day approaching. Capital day. What's he talking about? He's talking about the imminent return of Jesus. So if you were living in this culture, Jesus went away. He ascended. And then he said, I'm coming back. So they were watching the skies every day. They thought he could be coming back in any second. So it's been 2,000 years. He's not yet returned. But guess what? He could return at any moment. It's like, hey, don't forsake meeting together because if you're not meeting together, you're not encouraging each other. And we've got to do this together. We want to encourage each other to live a life of love and good deeds because that's what changes the world. And we got we to gotta get to it. Why? Because the day is approaching. Jesus is coming back. And we should be so excited about that that we want to gather as many people as we can to join us so that when he comes and establishes a new heaven and new earth, we all get to reign together. That's the essence of the gospel, y'all. The day is approaching. He's coming again. So the flow of the passage, since Jesus made a new way, three things. Number one, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Here's what he's saying. Because you can, you should. Because you can draw near, because he's made a way, because there is access, because you can, you should. This is secret place talk. Draw near to God. Bring your heart to God. Every day, the good, the bad, the ugly. This is a picture of being with Jesus. Do you know that's all he wants? He just wants you to be with him. How's that sit with you? All Jesus wants is for you to be with him. And you're like, well, I want to do this, this, and this. It's like, awesome. Just come be with me. But I, just come be with me. Come and sit. Come and rest. Be with me. Draw near to God. Number two, let us hold firmly. So get there and stay there. Develop a firm grip. Root yourself in Jesus. Being rooted in Jesus is Psalm 1-3. The man who meditates on the law day and night, verse three says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither and whatever he does, he prospers. This beautiful picture of deep rooted in the things of God. Getting your sustenance from river God holding firmly, firming the grip. Do you know that when you choose to be with Jesus, you become like him? This is a picture of strengthening your grip. You become like Jesus. Then number three, let us encourage one another. Life in the kingdom happens in community. Love and good deeds. And I love what Jesus said in John 14, 12. He says, hey, listen, You're gonna do all of these things that you've seen me do and greater things than these. What? 
greater things than these. We've got to encourage each other to live into our highest calling. There's an Ephesians 2.10 calling on your life, something that you were made for. And we've got to call out the gold in each other, encouraging each other so that we can do what Jesus did. So we choose to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, so that we can do the things that Jesus did. So again, my, my mom was an example of all this. And the last month before she died, she had gotten a diagnosis that there was nothing they could do. They gave her three to six months to live and she died a month later. Um, but me and my dad took her home and the, the first night we got her home, uh, helped her into bed and she opens up her Bible. So we're reading the Bible together and then we prayed and I'm curled up next to her. And uh, I said, are you, are you scared? Because I was, I was afraid for her. And her response was so peculiar. She said, I mean, either I'm gonna be with you or I'm gonna be with Jesus. I can't lose. What an encouragement to my soul. And I was able to remember that after she passed. And, um, you know, we all have those moments where like, why did you take her so early? Why did you take her at such a young age? But here's what I know. She was at peace and she was inviting me to be at peace as well. Let us draw near. Let us hold firmly. Let us encourage one another.